What's up, guys? It's Saturday, August 28th, 2021. Totally did the arm movements there wrong, but who cares? Who's, who's really keeping track of that at all? Anyway, so how are you guys? What's up? It's been it's been a, about a, a week, two weeks, two weeks since I did a, a, an episode last. And let me tell you... Um, Part of the reason for that is just, you know, sometimes life gets a little crazy and a little busy. You know, I, the last weekend I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, my wife and I and our, our couple friend, uh, our, our mirror couple, if you will, we, uh, we decided to take a trek to Shenandoah uh, in Virginia. We were staying at an Airbnb near Front Royal. Uh, I forget the exact city or, or wherever that it was, but it's in that same generalized area. It, it, but it was an Airbnb on the side of a mountain, and uh, it was a beautiful place, beautiful location. Uh, it was very, very iffy on if my car, the uh, if my uh, Kia Soul was going to make it on these country gravel back roads that were at insane slope down angles and slope up angles and big curvies and all that jazz. It was very butt clenching. You know what I mean? Very, very butt clenching. Uh, <laughs> and some of you might be saying, well, "Wait, didn't you just get a truck? You just had a big Carvana episode on a truck." Let me, let me, let me tell you. So I did say that there was going to be a follow up on the Carvana episode. Consider this the follow up. Uh, uh, I ultimately, I had about a seven day trial period. That's how Carvana works when you decide to get one of their cars delivered to you or if you pick it up from one of the giant Carvana vending machines that is nerdy as hell uh, you have a seven day window to test drive it so it's actually like one of the best I think on the market test drives that you can get but I'm not sure there's other options out there they're like there's a there's Vroom and uh, there's CarMax. I'm sure they might have similar ones in play. But with Carvana, you get a, a seven-day uh, trial of driving. And I think it's up to like 400 miles or so or 500 miles. And uh, so you get the opportunity to extensively test drive your vehicle. And uh, just like I said in the Carvana review episode last time uh, or, or two weeks ago... Um, I have no complaints about the service that was provided by Carvana. The car itself, the truck itself, it was a Chevy Colorado truck. Uh, 
But really sitting down and thinking on it and crunching the numbers financially and all that, you know, sometimes you're faced with having to make adult decisions. And uh, sometimes making adult decisions sucks. And giving back the truck was one of those, you know, suck it up and make a good adult decision. When you can afford something like that, uh, there's, there's two schools of thought. There's being able to afford it comfortably, like your monthly payment is going to be, you know, something that you can manage to, to make and it's not going to be squeezing or playing, uh, paying, playing Tetris with your finances or anything like that. And then there's the, yeah, we could do it, but we might have to crunch sometimes, uh, there might not be available dollars freed up. You know, we, we might not be paying into savings. Definitely not paying off some other debt that we're carrying, you know, faster or whatever. And when you sit there and weigh the options, on top of this, it was a 2015 truck. Had 50,000 miles on it. It was selling for $30,000. When you look at the market, when you look at the market for used cars, used car prices are still up. I believe in that episode I talked about how the bubble might be bursting soon or may have burst, but it's still up right now. You can still get uh, uh, several several brand cars. You can get cheaper, brand new off the lot than you can used, which is insane to think about, but, but you can. And... Sitting there and running and crunching the numbers and going, okay, this is a nice truck, but let's take a look at some of the, you know, let's break it down. Uh, it's not a four-wheel drive truck. It's a, it's a two-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive truck, so that's kind of like a negative uh, in the column. And it's a Z71, but how, what, what good is a Z71 off, off-road package if, if it's not a 4 by 4 It's kind of dumb. It's just kind of like, oh, I have a fancy branding on my truck. Also a negative. Uh, then the fact that I could pull up and look at that same truck, brand new 2021, and I could find financing offers and lease offers that was going to be, you know, the, the, the lease officers, the the lease, the lease offers, excuse me, obviously, uh, far cheaper than what the minimum payment was going to be for this thing. And then, uh, uh, but financing offers, uh, that were going to be exactly the same as as what I was paying. So my wife and I sat there, we weighed the pros and cons, and we said, you know what? It doesn't make sense to get this thing. We're going to be able to get this thing better for the same price. And if we hold off just a little bit longer, perhaps the market will come down a bit and not be so crazy, and we might be able to get a 2015, 2016, 2017 at not such a ridiculous price, at a more better price point, maybe even have a higher down payment. So ultimately, we said bye-bye to that truck. And that was hard to do, and it sucked, uh, but it was the adult thing to do. And then what did we do after that? We decided to go on a trip to Shenandoah, which we had planned anyway. And we had planned to take the truck because of country because of country mountains, back roads, and all that crap. 
but long story short, we took the Kia. We took the Kia Thole, which, uh, you know, I love that car anyway, and I'm going to end up taking that car from its lease and financing it and, and, and owning it. Uh, but that's beside the point. The, the, the moral of the story there is make adult decisions. <laughs> make adult decisions because I could have just said, no, nah, we're going to keep the truck. And then, you know, maybe opportunities to go take, you know, a day trip or a weekend trip were going to be so minimized. And, you know, not having money freed up for, for things. I mean, you know, sometimes you can look at things and go, all right, you know what, this works on paper but it's going to be tight. And then something unexpected happens. You have to be able to plan for unexpected things. Uh, so there will be a truck at some point in this guy's future. But until then, not right now. But uh, we did we did get to enjoy the mountains uh, while we were at the Airbnb. They, uh, they had board games present. And so now we were there and my wife pulled out uh, Catan. Katen, Katan, but however you pronounce it, however you nerds pronounce it, uh, we had never played before, uh, so she busted out. They have, you know, game boards have QR codes now, and you can just, you know, boop and go on getting these interactive tutorials to teach you how to play the game and give you a better understanding than just sitting there trying to read the rule book. And, uh, you know, we love board games. Our, uh, our mirror couple <coughs> loves board games. So we sit there, obviously, with alcoholic beverages. And we start playing Catan, and we end up loving it. And long story short, uh, my wife and I just bought the 25-year collector's edition with uh, the expansion pack. And we sat down to... My wife and I sat down to play it last night, not realizing that... uh, Usually the game's a minimum of three players, so, well, you know, uh, what, what we did is uh, what any sane couple would do. You hit the internet, and you try to find hacks to make it a two-player game. So we played with one set of, of rules for a two-player game that we ended up not really enjoying at all. And then something as simple as finding somebody talking about it on Reddit, um, as I Googled this, uh, led to a YouTube video of somebody presenting two-player rules for it. And the person said straight up in the comments, he was like, the best way that I've found to play Catan with two players is uh, simply you control two different colors. You pick like red and blue. You play to the best of your ability, and you just make it so that you as red and blue can't make it. You can't strike a deal with yourself. You can't trade and try to better your either one of your team's with only yourself. You can only trade with the partner across the table and one of their two colors. And I was like, oh, you know what? That sounds way better. We should probably do it like that. Why didn't we do it like that in the first place? So I'll let you know how that goes. But if you have a way to play two-player Catan and not not by saying the stupid you know, uh, card game uh, that's specifically Rivals of Catan or whatever, that's that's uh, if you have a, a two-player... Surefire way to play Catan. Hit me up. Let me know what it is. But that's been like the last week trying to trying to find some enjoyment uh, in life and, and being able to find it in the mountains, uh, doing rock scrambles in Shenandoah and diving through caverns and checking those things out. Uh, you know that 
that's fun aspect of life, enjoyable aspect of life. And, and I got some great bourbon out of it. Uh, well, great wine from Shenandoah. The Shenandoah wine made out of, uh, I think, blackberries is just freaking delicious. But I also got some of Jefferson's small batch bourbon, which I never had before. The bottle intrigued me at the uh, liquor store when I went through. I said, I'm going to buy this because I'm a bourbon guy. I'm a whiskey guy. Uh, and I wanted to try it out. And this this stuff is pretty damn good. Pretty smooth. Uh, whether I was mixing it with whiskey sour mix, uh, mixing it with cherry Coke, um, or just drinking it straight like a man like a man would drink it uh but that was pretty cool that, that that's cool aspects of life versus the suckier aspects of life where you're like i really want this truck we could do it but it wouldn't be the most financially responsible thing sometimes putting your foot down sucks um sometimes putting your foot down sucks and that comes in that that brings into mind some some things that have been going on current event wise that uh i wanted to touch up on a little bit like uh like afghanistan for example um if you've been living under a rock like perhaps the taliban has for the last i don't know 20 years uh uh the afghanistan pullout uh that joe biden has led has uh, now we're in a cha- now we're in a world of chaos. There's there's uh, Afghanistan is literally the most chaotic uh, front on the face of Earth right now, uh, making you forget about literally anything else. Afghanistan is under the magnifying glass or the microscope, however you want to coin that, and it's f- it's funny, peculiar, not funny, funny, haha, uh, funny in a peculiar sense that uh, when Joe Biden announced that he was going to do this a lot this is where it's fun being a libertarian it's really really fun to be a libertarian because you really get to see um, who sticks to their guns and who doesn't stick to their guns uh, when it comes to preaching on this stuff Afghanistan is a war that has lasted for literally 20 years there's people you know, that who, who have been born that this has been their entire life. Um, kids who are born that could be enlisted in this war or, or enlist and be in this war right now uh, because that's how old the war is. The, the war is practically old enough to drink, believe it or not. Uh, but I've been trying to reflect on this in the most open way possible. And it's hard to do that uh, because this is, I'm in 2021 state of mind. I'm not in state of mind from my childhood. When 9-11 happened, I was like 12 years old in 2001. I should have been nine, around 12 years old. I'm not going to sit here and try to do the math, but it was when I was extremely young, and I vividly, vividly remember uh, 9-11, which the 20th anniversary is right around the corner uh, in just a couple of weeks. 
I vividly remember 9-11 having, having, I didn't lose anybody. I wasn't under the threat of losing any direct family. Um, you know, I did have acquaintances, family, friends from church that, uh, worked up in New York or had office space in twin towers. Uh, but on, like on a personal level, like I, I, I wasn't affected on that level, but I was affected as, you know, a human being, as an American seeing, you know, my country under attack and not knowing why and wondering why. Um, but a lot of people, I remember a lot of kids my age, because we talked about this in school at length. And I remember some, some fellow classmates, you know, who were straight up, you know, in our 12 year old minds, I remember them saying like, you know, oh, we should just, we should just nuke the Middle East. Nuke it and be done with it. And I remember distinctly myself going like, you know, no, that's not, that's, that's insane. Um, Because in my mind, bad people did this thing that we witnessed. And not knowing some of the prior history of of the United States of America, foreign policy, things like that, you know, the, not knowing anything, all I could think was there's bad people at play here. My eyes were glued to the news. I remember seeing President Bush's speech that night. Uh, and, you know, in my 12, 13-year-old mind or whatever, I was sitting there thinking like, wow, I wonder like how long school's going to be shut down for or how long we're going to be like, you know, in this heightened state of alert. Uh, because this is like the scariest thing that's happened in my life. This is terrible. And, you know, libertarians might want to, you know, bash me or whatever. I mean, you know, George Bush is a good punching bag, I guess, for for a libertarian mindset. Uh, but what he said at, the addre- at his address that night was, you know, we're going back to work. We're going back to life as usual um, because you can't, you can't attack America and put us in such a fear that we're not going to live our lives. <laughs> My how times have changed with the 2021, with the 2019, 2020, 2021 narratives. Uh, it, it appears that you, you in fact, can uh, scare people bad enough to the degree that they will absolutely alter their lives from what it normally was. But uh, but George Bush sat at in the Oval Office that night and gave the address and said, we're going back to work. That's what, you know, Americans are asking. What, what can they do? Go back to work. Support each other. You know, it was a great actual unifying message at the time, whether you want to admit it or not. Considering what had just had happened that day. Uh, but... I was glued to the news, I was glued to some of the talking heads on the radio, and I believed in taking the fight to Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, um, and honestly speaking, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find people that weren't behind that, uh, because at least the military actions that were going on in Afghanistan and the quote-unquote war on terror was backed almost unanimously by by the Senate and Congress. I think there was like one detraction uh, or one nay vote for um, authorizing military action. 
in Afghanistan. Uh, it was pretty unified that, uh, oh, no, yeah, we got to go get these bad people and we're going to find them and we're going to make them pay. Which is, mind you, we could go on to a, a long discussion about vengeance and whether, you know, vengeance, vengeance is righteous and good and true and all that. Or if, if in talking about dealing with such things in this world, whether whether vengeance and whether vengeance really truly equals justice or not. But again, you'll be hard pressed to find people who are against the initial actions in Afghanistan. More than likely. You I mean you will find some now, but you will find some now. You might find some retrospectively, but at the time, probably a large majority of us were on board with it. Not knowing that it was going to sprawl into the madness that has been the last two decades and 75% of my life. And, you know, people in my age group, for those of us out there, this has been 75 or 75% or more of our lives. Excuse me. Mm. So, for a long, long time, it's been like it's been a, a presidential platform running for president that, you know, you know, back after after Bush ran or after Bush had his two terms, President Obama comes in and during during Obama's run for office, one of his campaign promises was to get out of Afghanistan. And I think it was one of his campaign promises again running in the second term and. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, under Trump's run for president, uh, it was out there as a campaign item and promise. And then Trump also, under his administration, struck up the deal that was going to withdraw troops. And then in comes Joe Biden, and Joe Biden says, I'm going to do it. And he does it, and now we're in a mess. And I think there's some probable... probable arguments of fallacy at play here. Let me tell you that I don't think, first and foremost, pulling out of Afghanistan or ending the war in Afghanistan, I believe that it was a lost cause to turn it into a nation-building type of thing. And I think it doesn't matter... If we pulled out 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 5 years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, the minute that we decided to pull out, there was going to be this chaotic period, that, much like we're seeing now. I think the argument and debate can come in whether it was planned well enough, uh, executed well enough. Uh, those, those are... Arguments of nuance um, that have lots of factors that we could try to crack into and, and talk about right now. But overall, there's not any any one particular scenario in my mind where you pull out of Afghanistan and it's clean and good and, and there's no, you know, everything is just, you know, rainbows and butterflies and, and you know, 
the Afghanistan people live happily ever ever after, and the Taliban remains defeated uh, for all eternity. I, I don't. I, I think that's a pipe dream. I think that was never going to happen. Uh, and largely, I think you know. I think you find a lot of people trying to find excuses to criticize what has happened. Um, mind you, I hate to see what has happened. I hate that more American troops have lost their lives. I hate that innocent Afghanistan citizens uh, are terrorized or or panicked, living in fear of what is to come under the Taliban. I think it's it's rather ludicrous that that some people would try to, to defend the Taliban and talk about, you know, how they're going to be different. Uh, or fair, uh, you know, I'm not going to play into those arguments of nuance, but I can say, I can say with certainty that I don't, that, that at no point was, was there ever going to be, uh, a, a justifiable, desired outcome of removing ourselves from Afghanistan. Uh, I, I think we can point any which way of, of anything that's going on right now, and you could say, you know, it was too early to leave or whatever, but if you get into those arguments of it was too early to leave, then you get into the arguments of how long do you want to be there? Do you want to be there for another two decades, three decades? How many more American lives have to be spent on it? Uh, how much American money has to be spent on it? Uh, how much more bloodshed has to be spilt. And not just the bloodshed of the terrorists, you know, the terrorists. As much as we want to righteously sit here and talk about the war on terror, you can't have a war against an ideology. Because if you have a war against an ideology, you already don't have a measurable, obtainable goal you just have a really feel good, like you know, yeah, terrorism's bad. Let's let's do what we can to get rid of terrorism in the world. But you, you don't have an a measurable goal there. You don't have a true identifiable enemy there. You don't have a true identifiable landscape. Just one area to focus on. You don't. You just don't. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing with, you know, the war on drugs at home. You went on a war on drugs, and for decades you've been, well, failing. Drugs won the war on drugs. All right, and did Afga- or did the Taliban win the war, on, the, the war in Afghanistan? Yeah, that's what happens when your people can just withdraw to the, uh, to the caves and lay in wait while you batter, beat, and bruise yourself for two decades before you decide to pull out and they can come out of the woodwork and run all over the army that you trained, uh, the president that you put into place, which, by the way, also in Afghanistan, there wasn't a lot of uh, confidence in the government. I think the last election that they had had a voter turnout of like 20% or less. So the people there were not confident in the system at all. Um, 
And this is what happens. America can't swoop into a country that doesn't understand westernized democracy, that doesn't have a culture of westernized democracy, and you can't bomb people into freedom. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You bomb people into freedom and you say, hey, here's the system. It works great for us, which, by the way, it doesn't work great for us. Just just in case anybody ever, if anybody wants to sit and say America is, you know, doing awesome, it's not doing awesome. What the hell are you talking about? That's been doing awesome for decades now. For real. For real. We've been playing a game of partisan politics of, I like it when my team's in the hot seat and your team isn't. And I'll piss all over your team when you're not in the hot seat because you're not worthy of respect. That's what Democrats and Republicans have been doing, left and right, and they're still they're still doing it. I don't know if you knew that. They're still doing it. They don't care. They don't care. We have a political ruling class that runs America. And it's not just on the federal level either. It's your local politicians as well. I hate to say that, but I I, I truly believe the majority of politicians don't care about you or what you want. They'll placate you. They'll do what they have to do to get you to vote for them. But uh, at the end of the day, if it's not benefiting them directly, they don't really care. Okay? Uh, that that That's significant enough to me because <clears throat> I've watched politicians do this. I've watched states and regions do this where it's all about placating the voter base, whether it's a good idea or not. Um, just to ask California or New York, where they've, outlawed, they've practically outlawed nuclear power plants, but uh, on this green kick of using solar and wind, can't figure out how to keep their cities powered because they refuse to use nuclear power, which, granted, does create... A, uh, a a byproduct uh, that is nuclear waste, uh, but we have ways to store that and have it uh, decontaminate over the years before it can be properly disposed of. But there's ways to recycle that stuff and all that, all that jazz too. And oh yeah, a nuclear power plant can like you know manage an entire city, uh, creating energy for an entire city. Uh, and while it's doing that, while it does end up creating a a, a nuclear byproduct uh, of waste, it doesn't actively pollute while it's uh, doing so. But, uh, you know, it's not woke to, to do that. It's not woke to do that. It's not woke to talk about how we could make milestones and, and point things in the direction of, of green energy or like, you know, cutting carbon emissions from cars or something like trying to make most, most or all of the new vehicles, uh, electric production by 2030 is, you know, it, it might be a noble goal. Uh, but, uh, in the meantime, don't you think it makes sense to keep oil, uh, and gas production, uh, going at a rate where it's not affecting Americans on the lower level, you know, so they're not worried about paying $3 or more for gas. It's $3 for gas here in Delaware. 
I'm sure elsewhere it's probably higher than that. People are telling me to shut up and and not, you know, ramble about gas prices. But, you know, at the same token, while you're trying to achieve the goal of, of electric cars, for example, uh, you have to realize that uh, most of the power that is created, most of the electric power that's created is uh, well, not from them green energy sources because... Solar and wind, they're great on smaller scales, but not on large scales. And considering that they're not great on large scales, what happens if you try to convert most of the driving force to electric and then you can't sustain it? Mm. We don't like to think things through. We just like to be woke. Some might say that about the Afghanistan situation. Maybe Biden's just, you know, trying to be woke and get us out of a war that we've been in for 20 years and you know consequences be damned like i said i didn't think it was going to be clean uh at all i hate to i hate to watch the news and see these stories about bombings at the airport and people trying to escape and and you know furthermore like glenn beck this past week his uh, nazarene fund has been been working to to get out christian refugees from from the afghanistan region because they'll be They'll be killed uh, in the chaos. But uh, he talks about snags and hurdles and loopholes and, and blocks from the government, from our government, while he's trying to get this done on, on a private scale. It's insane. It is insane. And that's the other thing while I've been thinking about this, because I hate to see what's going on in Afghanistan, but... At, at the same token, I'm not sitting here like, well, you know, we should have stayed, we should have, uh, we, we should stay for at least this much longer until we were sure that Abel's, the, 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 that the region's going to be stabilized and all that. There's no America, there's no outside influence to stabilize, like, this is your country. You need to stabilize it. It needs to be you guys at the forefront, you guys doing it. We can give you tools, we can give you uh, support, we can do this stuff, but we can't give you everything. So, you know, at the same token, has the last two decades been a complete and total loss? Has it been all for naught? It started off not as something that was going to be all for naught. But then think about the changes that happened. Think about how we ended up getting Osama bin Laden. Mind you, not in Afghanistan, not in Iraq, um, but hiding in Pakistan where... He had probably been hiding out for years beyond when we first set foot in Afghanistan. There's there's a lot that you could probably pick apart with it, and I'm not I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to that stuff. I I, I really do rely on people like Scott Horton for this mess. To talk about it because it's just impossible for me to try to make heads or tails of, of things sometimes but in thinking about it I've realized that not everything has to be black and white when you're talking about it too I didn't want the war in Afghanistan I didn't want our military presence in Afghanistan to continue a moment longer uh, and even though I didn't want it to continue a moment longer that does not mean that that uh, I don't feel terrible for what's going on. That doesn't mean that there wasn't ways to 
potentially prevent at least this level of chaos from going on, at least on a, on a delayed scale. But sometimes, sometimes I look at it too, and I think it, I think of it like ripping a bandaid off. Like you could sit there and you can slowly pull back and pull back and it's, you know, it's, it's more pain, more pain and more grimacing and wondering how long you're going to go through this or you just rip it off, let all that pain happen and then it subsides. But let's be honest, I I don't, I, I don't even think in this circumstance it's going to subside quickly. Uh, I think it's just a mess. It was always going to be a mess. And sometimes you got to realize the consequences, realize what you can control and what you can't control. A lot of that comes into play with uh, what's been going on with coronavirus. Let's be honest. A lot of my podcasting as of late has been, uh, I've really lacked a a passion and interest at times to, to sit before this microphone if I, if I don't have a guest, if I don't have somebody to talk to something, to, if I don't have a guest to talk about other things about, because I, you know, here we are with COVID again. It's, it's, this is the, sometimes I'm not even sure how to speak about it because There's, I, I feel like sometimes you just can't have this discussion with people and you can't have disagreements with people uh, because people aren't going to let you just be thinking differently or, or have a different view. It's always trying to, it's, it's always people trying to convince other people or belittle other people or mock other people or make other people out to be evil. And I really, I hate it. I I hate it so much that it has affected whether or not I want to sit behind this microphone and talk about what's going on. Um, You know, there's far more important things in life to me. Like my wife, like my daughter, like keeping things on the home front good, learning how to raise chickens which by the way we have a male chicken we thought we only had girl hens we we thought we only had hens and it turns out we have a we have a rooster in that mix uh, because, <laughs> it's funny because uh he can't really cockadoodle do right now he's prebubescent <laughs> he sounds like a car that won't he sounds like a car engine that that won't fucking turn over but uh, but we have a rooster, uh, which hasn't changed anything because hens still lay eggs. You still collect them every day and a fertilized egg that you collect won't, if it's not incubated, guess what? It doesn't, it doesn't just magically develop chicken. It's got to, You got to incubate it or let the hens incubate it. And if you're taking it from them, it doesn't matter if it's a fertilized egg. You can still crack it, scramble it and make scrambled eggs and omelets. It's as 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 bad as you could make that sound which when my daughter my daughter who's smart as a whip will one day associate the fact that we have chickens out in the yard 
and chicken nuggets, and they're one in the set. She hasn't made that connection yet, but she's going to one day, and it's going to be terrible when she does. But I have a lot more fun doing those things than I than I have on a political front lately. And it's because it's because of you know just insane things in my mind. You know, like my wife's cousin, for example, her name's Tori. She she worked for Christiana Care Health up in northern Delaware for, for a really long time. And, and Christiana Care as a hospital is now mandating their staff to either get vaccinated or they're firing them. And I think that's wrong. Personally, I think that's wrong, especially since healthcare workers have worked through this entire pandemic with the PPE, masks, you know, yada, 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 the whole nine yards, and they've been heroes. And now all of a sudden, if you don't get this vaccine, <clears throat> which, you know, if you don't get this vaccine, now you can get fired. Or I have a buddy, Josh. He just posted up on Facebook the other day a quote-unquote letter to the president about how he has all these—he's he's on this job hunt. He's a family man. He's trying to find a job and make money for his family and, and provide for his family. And he goes to this job interview, <clears throat> and he's talking—he's he, doing the interview, and— they, uh, he mentions during the interview that, uh, he even recently just got his first dose of, uh, of the vaccine, uh, to prove to prospective employers that he, he cares about protecting himself and others. And he says that, you know, at the end of the interview, he shakes hands with them and then he gets asked by them, why did it take you so long to decide to get the vaccine? And he says, basically he felt like a second class citizen. Because he was being questioned on why it took him so long to make a decision about the vaccine, <clears throat> about getting it. I think this is clown world crap. Because we have data that shows, <coughs> excuse me, we have data now that shows that A, the vaccine went from being the, uh, just just months ago being the Final key to turning to norm to returning to normal life. Ooh, excuse me, I had to pause for a minute there. Uh, but we had this vaccine that month months ago was talked about being the key to return to normal life, and now we sit with <coughs> mask mandates returning, regardless of vaccination status, people's employment being threatened, whether or not they get this vaccine or not, and the fact that. Now, as they talk about this vaccine, they mention that, oh, it's not to prevent the disease at all. It's just to lessen the symptoms. And yeah, you can still spread it. So mask back up. And by the way, we might lock down again, which I think is insane. I think at this point, we've been drug out far too, far too much. I have a little tingle in my throat. You'll have to excuse me. I'll, I should pause again, but I won't because I'm going to be wrapping up soon. <clears throat> That's where, if I express this opinion, there's probably two emotions that people are having. The emotion number one is 
the people that agree with me. They're saying, like, you know what? He's right. The others are probably people who vehemently disagree with what I just said, think that I'm part of the problem, and why the pandemic won't end. And they hate me. And this is the thing. I'm not out to hate anybody. I don't hate you if you've got the vaccine. I don't hate you if you haven't got the vaccine. I don't hate you if you're one of the people who believe that everybody should go out and get the vaccine. I don't hate you for that. I just think differently from you. And I have a different perspective than you. Because in all of this, you can't talk about people who have had COVID already and have natural immunity. And you're not allowed to sit and compare natural immunity versus the immunity from the vaccine. And you're not allowed to talk about how big pharma might be benefiting from this and might be using it to their advantage, which... That's been one of my primary arguments for a while, is that Big Pharma, three years ago, Big Pharma's bad. EpiPens are off the scale. This medication, insulin's off the off the charts. Daily medications that people need to survive are off the charts, and these big, bad corporations make so much money from it. And people aren't arguing about it right now because nobody has had to pay personally for a COVID test or a vaccination. No, you haven't had direct you haven't had to directly pay for it, but guess what? It's been paid for. Pfizer in quarter 2 of 2021 made like 7 billion dollars off of the COVID vaccine shots alone. 7 I think it was 7.8 billion dollars. 7.8 billion dollars you didn't pay for you didn't pay you didn't go anywhere and pay for your shot you got it for you got it for free but you didn't get it for free government paid for that which meant which means your tax dollars paid for it now i'm not going to sit here and say that it's necessarily a bad thing that vaccine got rolled out under trump's administration mind you when democrats were bashing it and saying that it was being rushed for political purposes and then the day after <laughs> and then the day after when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris took office all of a sudden this is the most amazing thing ever and everybody should be forced to take it if the tables were flipped if Donald Trump were still president right now you would not be hearing such praise for the vaccine. You just simply wouldn't. Because it wouldn't be the cool thing to do. And to fault people for making a medical decision for themselves, I think is abhorrent. I think you shouldn't do that. I don't think people should be fired or potentially not hired for not taking it, when even if they take it, you're going to make them wear a mask, which either they work or they don't, or they mitigate the chances effectively or they don't. And you're not going to take into consideration the fact that people have natural immunity 
and you're not going to take into consideration almost anything else. On top of all that, I mean, you can hate me all you want for what I've for what I've said today on the COVID front. Well, on anything, you can hate me if you want. I don't care. But you got to realize, I don't, I don't hate you. I'm not, da- I'm not trying to downplay the fact that people have gotten this and that it has affected their lives and that people have passed from it. But I am saying that I think there's extreme measures and targeted measures and that, you know, sometimes... This, this idea that, uh, you know, the noble quest is only one way doesn't necessarily work out that way. But that's where we stand with it. And that's where I'm going to leave it, guys. So, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate you coming along. I do have some guests lined up. Uh, <clears throat> in the coming weeks... Uh, which I think the first is going to be Olivia Rondau. I think that's going to be who it is, but you keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and I'm just, I'm, right now, I'm just trying to find a, a good way to trek forward because some of this has been a little mind numbing and some of it has just been a little, a little overwhelming and it's made me, it's made me want to not engage with people because. You know, now people are just going to judge me. If I come out and I have a different opinion, people are just going to judge me for it. They're just going to, you know, it doesn't matter if if I was an asshole to them or not. The opinion that I might have might just make me an asshole. And it makes me want to... Makes me want to interact with people less. I don't see how anybody else wouldn't feel that way. It's a tough spot. It's a tough spot to be in. But it is what it is. But in in any case, guys, I love you. Thanks for tuning in. Leave your reviews, your comments, all that jazz. Follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash FritzCast. You can find me on TikTok and virtually any other platform you can think of, Instagram as well, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me directly, remember... I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.